Welcome to Dark Fairy Tales for Mature Audiences. And we are currently filming here in the castle of Muskogee. We're in a catacomb. And that's the perfect setting for this story, which is forever alone. Nathaniel was a small boy. Very thin, very fine-boned, very smart. And in a harbor town, these are not traits that get you very far. Disease came through when he was young and killed both of his parents, and he had no family living nearby, so he was on the streets at a young age. He was wiry, and he was quick, and he was agile, and he learned to climb trees, and whenever his belly rumbled, he learned that no one locked a second-story window, and that he could tiptoe in and slip down to a kitchen or a pantry and grab food, and out he'd go again. And as he got older, and as he got smarter, he started taking things with him when he went. A little jewelry here and there, but on the street, you meet others who live on the street, and they teach you many things, and he learned from the finest teachers at that early age, when he showed up one day with a lovely ring, one of the other street people said, the worst thing you can do is sell a ring in the town you stole it in. Kid, you better hike to the next village. And so he learned to move from town to town, city to city, and to steal things in one place, to take them to shops and sell them in another, where he would not be caught. And as he got older, he would dodge the bullies, the dock boys that were always loud. Their fathers were dock workers. He dodged them because they were mean every time he ran into one. There was something about him they just did not trust. It was probably his size. It could have been his wit could have been a combination of things. Nathaniel never knew. He never gave the time to figure it out. One day, Nathaniel, as a young adult, was headed from one city to the next. A rainstorm hit, the thunder ripping the sky in half, rain pouring down so thick you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, and Nathaniel went running into the trees with absolutely no skill at woods at all. And he ran into the trees and he kept running through the woods trying to find a place to hide, you know, and all the stories as an abandoned house conveniently tucked nearby. And he was hoping for one of those. When all of a sudden he ran right into, wow, it's a field. It's a gray field and there's rocks and it's not raining and the trees are gone. You see, Nathaniel had never bothered hearing stories, stories about fairies or fairy circles or anything like that because it was not important to survival. And so he had no idea that what he had done was ran through a fairy circle, a circle of mushrooms in the woods, and out he'd come in fairy. But there in this gray land, it was not raining, and I mean, that's what he was trying to get away from. So he kept going forward until he saw a hill in the distance, a barrow. Well, there's nothing else here. I might as well see what it is. Night has to come sometime. I should be indoors. He was unaware of old burial styles. He was unaware of barrows. He was used to seeing cemeteries for the dead with stones standing there eternally silent, hoping that someone will honor the memory of those who have passed, even though they have no idea who the person was. Nothing more than a name. Nathaniel went and he walked around the barrow and most of it was just this big mound of dirt. 
gray dirt, gray hill, gray rock. There wasn't even a stone worth taking back to see if it was a shiny diamond or maybe an emerald. This is not the best place for me to end up. I really need to get to the next town. Stomach is rumbling. And he came around the side, and at the farthest side, there was a beautiful gateway and a mound of dirt. A beautiful gateway that was gilded in gold, and it was trimmed in rubies and emeralds. And there were beautiful flowers, blood red, with drops of obsidian coming down like tears. And he looked at the lock on it, and the lock was open. It was turned as if someone had forgotten to close it. All right. So he opened it and he looked at it. The lock itself looked like it was made of gold and it felt pretty soft and he thought about that. But if I'm going in and someone else is in there and they realize I've taken their lock when we walk out, things won't go so well for me. So I'll leave it here for now. I can always take it on the way out. And so he opened the gates and they did not squeak. You would think they would. They should have known they should squeak because if you're going into a grave, there should be some kind of moaning sound some sound of tragedy, but instead they were silent as he opened them up. And there was a wooden door behind, and the wooden door was a very lovely wooden door made of oak, and it was carved with all sorts of plants that all looked like they were starting to wilt around the edges. Well, that's really creepy. He tried the knob, and the door opened in. And there was warm air inside, which, being soaked from the rain and being cold from the lack of weather outside, but no sun, clouds, and gloom, he decided to go in. It's warm, I'll dry off. This looks more like a house. There was a tiled floor inside that was mother of pearl. It was beautiful. And as he walked in and looked at that, he knew he had struck gold. This is wonderful. He closed the door behind him, and he started wandering room to room. And it was as beautiful as any palace has ever been described in stories. The palaces of earthly kings and queens are nothing but a dollar store joke compared to the sights he saw in there. He saw dragons that were carved from ice that did not melt in all different colors. He saw the most beautiful paintings that were done in tears with butterfly wings around the edges for color. And he would look at these things and wonder who was here to appreciate it. Hello? Hello? No answer. Alone. As I've always been, he thought. Always been alone everywhere I've gone. It's not like I'm used to having anyone around. But it would feel nice to have someone to appreciate these sights with. And when he went into the next room, it was a beautiful, beautiful dining hall with a table that had lion's claws, lion's claws, in the corners of the table. And he went up and petted them. They were soft as the day they came off the lion. They were a bit scary. He couldn't imagine sitting between them to eat. But on the table was a basin of fruit. And so he walked past them, eyeing them to make sure that he didn't tear his clothes on them. And he went over and he helped himself to the food on the table. And next to it was wine, and he helped himself to that as well. There were chalices there. They had no dust on them. Someone had to attend this place. And he thought... For all the treasures, the gold necklaces, 
the many jewels, some as large as his fist, that were definitely rubies. They were deep, deep red. And every time he'd seen one, he thought about putting it in his pouch, and then he thought, wait, I'll be coming back through this way, and if I run into anyone, I don't want them finding their goods in my pouch. I'd rather they think I wandered in by mistake. And so he drank the wine, and he ate the food. And many have heard the stories and have heard the warnings about eating the fairy food and about drinking the fairy wine, but he was not amongst them. And so he continued on. And he went room after room, and it seemed days passed, or maybe it was minutes. It was really hard to tell how time was moving for him. And he finally got tired, and he kept thinking, there should be a place to sleep. There's all these amazing rooms. He even saw one room where there were statues, and he thought that maybe they were stuffed. They looked real, but they couldn't be. There was a manticore, and it looked like it was fighting a unicorn, and the unicorn was goring it with its horn. They can't be real creatures, and these things don't exist. Little did he know. And he saw all these sights, and he kept thinking, I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. And he found a staircase that went down further into the ground, which made sense. I mean, it was a little bump on top, and there was nowhere to go but down. And when he went down the spiral stairs, he came out to a huge room, and it was a giant bedroom with a bed on the far end. And the blankets on it were made of some fabric thinner than silk and smoother than silk. It almost felt like air, but it was warm. And it was a big, giant bed with big, giant pillows. And he fell into the bed, and he fell asleep. He had the most amazing dream. First time in his life that he laid in a bed somewhere, and he dreamed of a beautiful woman, and her hair was white, and her eyes were white, but he lived didn't care at all. She was warm and she was in bed right next to him. And she was reaching out for him. And she held him. It's the only time in his life that he ever, ever had the chance to be with a woman. And I suppose losing one's virginity in a bower in an unseemly land is maybe not on anyone's bucket list, but he, he says it was a wonderful occasion. In his memory, it was the best thing that ever happened in his life. He was not alone, and here was this being in his bed with him that met all of his wants and desires, and that allowed him to do the same for her. And her smile was so beautiful that it made his heart just sing with joy. And he looked at her and said, as they were done, and laying there panting, exhausted, it feels so nice to not be alone. I would give anything if I could never be alone again. It's been terrible being alone. And she just smiled. And they fell asleep curled up together. And she was warm against his skin, almost fevered. When he woke up, he was alone in the bed. She was gone, and he called out. He had no idea what name to call out. He didn't even know her name. And he called for her, and nothing answered. And as he stood up, his hands went back on the bed, because there was something silver down in the sheets mixed in. And when he picked it up, it was a necklace. And there was her picture right on the front. And it was a picture of her. And there was a heart on the back. That's the only thing of her that he could find. He looked everywhere. He roamed the whole place for days, looking in every alley, in every corner of this beautiful place. 
And there were hundreds of rooms with impossible things. There was one room with a floor with water. And there was one mat that was made of stone, but you could sit on it and float across. And he floated around. He looked around. He could not find any sign of her anywhere. And finally, heartbroken that she was gone, he put the necklace on. And to him it was a necklace and he wore it. But to any others who might have been there, what they would have seen is the necklace go on and vanish, and a tattoo burn itself across her skin. A fine words, tiny letters, powerful letters. But he was unaware of this. To him, it was a necklace still. And finally, heartbroken, he could bear being there no more because all he could think of was her. He left. He went out. He shut the door. He shut the gate but did not lock it because someone left it unlocked for a reason. And he made his way back the way he came. He could see, still see his footprints in the gray dirt. And so he walked back, and it brought him right out where he'd been in the forest, where the fairy circle was. But when he stepped back out, there was a town there now. And this was a little park in the middle of it. Well, that's odd. This wasn't here days ago. Apparently towns spring up fast these days. Better hawk this stuff. So he went into the tavern to have a drink and to find out where the nearest buyer and seller of used goods was in the town. And as he got to the bar, and the pub chief said, what will you have to drink? I'll have an ale. All right. And as he's pouring it, oh, you got an antique coin there. God, with this, you could probably buy my whole pub. Oh, well, don't mind that. Don't mind that, friend. It's the smallest coin I've got right now. So I thought I'd share it with friends. So a drink from, from me on the house for everyone. Getting dinner tonight. Because it's good to have friends in a small town. And now he started to really wonder how his coins were being antique and all. And he looked at the money they were passing around, and it was much different than his. So, uh, how's crops these days? Good, good. You're not from around here? You got a funny accent. Yeah, I just got into town today. I, I thought I'd I thought I'd sell some stuff I have with me. I I'm an antique dealer. So I have some antiques. Do you, do you have anyone in town that deals in that? And all the innkeep rattled off three names. And he said, uh, they're closed for the day though. You might want to hit them up tomorrow. Do you want a room for the night? We we still got a bed available. I mean it is with five other people, but we still have a bed available. Ah, uh, that's that's good, that's good, that'll work for me. So he went upstairs to the room after a few more drinks. He was good and ripped by the time he got there. And he'd had a great time singing some rowdy body songs with everybody downstairs. But every time guys and gals would get together and he'd see them look at each other with that lust in their eyes, there she was. But she wasn't there. And he was alone. And it was a bitter pill to take. And so upstairs he stumbled and he finally found his bed. And as he lay there, he could hear one of the guys in his room snoring nonstop. And all he could think of is, God, would that guy just die? What does a guy have to do around here to get some sleep? Towards morning, he woke because there was a racking, coughing sound. And he woke up in the dark, and the coughing sound got wet. And then there was a rattle. And then there was no sound. Hey, you all right over there? You coming down with something? 
You don't have the plague or anything, do you? No answer. Now, that should have woken up the other four guys in the room. Hey, hey, guys, what's going on? He leaned over and he lit a lamp, and that's when he saw that the other four were dead. And they, they had blood coming out of their eyes and ears and out of their mouths and noses. And, well, it's pretty messy. God, these people have plague in their village, and they didn't even have the courtesy to, oh! And so he got out of the room, and as he went down the hall, he peeked into some of the other rooms, and the people in them were dead as well. They were gruesomely dead. Some of them had actually dragged themselves towards the door as they were dying, and one was actually leaning against the back of the door and fell back into the room when he opened the door to that one. And he made his way downstairs, trying not to touch anything, thinking, oh God, I, I could have the plague as well now, and this is horrible. I don't want to be in this town. And he thought of the city he came from and that it's, it's less than a day away and I can get there pretty easily back through the woods. Well, this was the woods, but if I go that way, I should be able to get to that city and get away from this plague-ridden town. And so he went out and when he got out into the woods, he found a stream and in the ice cold water he washed. And as he did, he thought, I should be cold. I hope I'm not coming down with a fever. I should be cold. This water should be ice cold, but it feels fine. And it was an icy stream that came from a mountaintop. It should have been ice cold, and it was ice cold to most people. Morning came. The sun came up as bright and beautiful as always, and the world looked nice and innocent again as he found the road finally and was relieved that the road still looked like it did when he remembered using it before this misadventure. And as he was walking down the road he realized that he wasn't feverish at all and he figured he was fine and that he got away without the plague and he ran into a traveling family of gypsies and they had their bardo and they had a couple of horses in the front and kids were playing on the side and the kids were so nice he played with them and played with the family and late afternoon as they were coming towards the edge of the city and you could see the walls in the distance one of the kids started rubbing his nose and the other one started sneezing and he backed away are you sick What's wrong? And the two kids heeled over and started complaining. Their stomach hurt. Their stomach hurt. Something was really wrong. Their stomach hurt. And the parents came running over. And as they did, the woman said, I've been having a headache that's been bothering me for a while now. And her nose started running. But when she looked at it, there was blood on her finger and blood was coming down her face. And he backed away from them. You're sick and you didn't tell me? You're sick? Oh, God! And he got away from them. And he made his way into the city. He got ahead of them. Their vardo stopped because they were dealing with this illness and not sure how they came down sick. And they were sure, as they tried to assure him as he left, that it was nothing. It was just some sniffles. It was just a cough. Some garlic will do. But he made it to the city. And he got himself a room. And as he sat there thinking that evening, he didn't bother going down to any club. He sat there thinking, I need to figure out what's going on. I need to figure out where I was. Those people weren't sick in the morning. Those people weren't sick last night. I was there both times, and they started getting sick. So he went downstairs. He kept his distance from the innkeep, and he looked at him and said, Are there any learned men in town, any scholars? Well, yeah, down the block, 
the librarian. He lives there. I mean, the library is closed at this hour, but the librarian lives there. He used to go knock on his door. People pay him for wisdom all the time. He won't mind. And so he went down the street and knocked on the door, and sure enough, this guy opened the door, pot belly, big smile, that smile that comes around the side of your eyes. And he opened the door up wide, and his hair was like little puffy wisps of smoke. And he welcomed him in, and he gave him a cup of tea and sat him down. And there were books everywhere. As if you turn your head away and you look back, and the books will add to themselves just because they want to be near this guy who loves them so much. And he started telling the guy about what happened, running through the woods and then all of a sudden being in the barren place and the dirt pile and, and the doorway and the palace and the going down. And there she was at night and then she was gone and she gave me this locket. And as he did this, now what the old man saw was him pulling his own chest at the tattoo, at the centerpiece of it. And the old man looked at him and said, wait, you, you got a tattoo from sleeping with someone? You know, that's not even possible. I mean, unless magic's involved. But what you're talking about, it, it sounds very much like you stepped into fairyland and that you had an encounter with a fairy maiden, very likely a powerful one. You know it's dangerous. Did you eat or drink anything there? Well, yeah, there was food and wine and I had some. You know, I had dinner last night, but I wasn't really hungry after I started eating. I, I hadn't been hungry at all today. Well, that's weird. I hadn't even thought of that. And the old man started looking at the lettering on the tattoo, moving his head back, and he goes, and it's not a tattoo, it's a necklace. Why are you calling it a tattoo? And as he's doing this, the old man goes, you're holding your, your flesh between your fingers. You realize that? It, it's not a pendant you're holding out. It's your own skin. There's words. Oh, no, it's a chain. I can see the chain right here. And he, No, you're holding your flesh out like this, and you're pointing at it. And they argued for a minute, and finally the old man said, just stop, let me read it, hold still. And he started reading the words aloud, and he went pale. Because they were old words, and they were words that are forgotten in most circles. But those books love books, and books keep showing up. Librarians have a way of finding things even they are not supposed to know. Oh, God. It just says forever alone, over and over again, in an old Gaelic script. Forever alone. Is her picture in the locket? No, there's a skull on the front. There's a skull. It's not a woman at all. Well, that's funny. She was there when I put it on. I feel like she's been with me in a way. In a way, she has not. I mean, she's nowhere to be found, but every time I... I see a woman, I, she's right there behind my eyes, and she's looking, and, but she's not here. It's a thought. It's a memory. And the old man thought, no, it's more than that. It's more than that, but it's going to take me some time to look into it. Oh, I'm sorry. My head. i got to sit down for a minute. And it, there was no chair where he was at, but the old man started to sit, and he fell right on the floor. And when he did, blood started coming out of his ears and out of his nose and out of his mouth. It was about two minutes later that the rattle and the bubbles came out. Nathaniel watched. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I have to go. 
Where do you go when everywhere you go, everyone dies? Because what you bring with you. Going back. And so he made his way back down the road to the woods. And it took a while of stumbling around. But he found the path again to get to the next town that grew up where the fairy circle was. And he found the little park in the center of town with the trees and the mushroom circle in it. And with a heavy head and a hopeful heart, he stepped back into the circle and out the other side. But the funny thing was, there were creatures waiting. You see, it's a rare thing for a queen of fairies to marry. And when he put the necklace on, he accepted her proposal, and so they knew he would come to marry the queen. And all the unseelie were there, and they were waiting, and they stayed back except for the ones that could not be affected by his gift. Gift, if you could call it that. And as he came out, they dressed him in fine robes. They put a crown on his head of bones, and they walked him to the front door of the bower. Will she be there? Will she be waiting? He said to a creature that was barely there, unless you looked away. And the creature said, she'll be there but only when you're sleeping. You see, she was dead for many centuries. She had died. The queen of plagues had died. And we laid her to rest, knowing, hoping that one day someone would come who could love her so she would never be alone again. And that is forever known. <laughs>